Well, I had uh, great reports of, of last week's gathering of what happened here, and uh, I definitely missed my Meadowland family as much as it was fun to, to get away and, and be with my extended family. When it came uh, Sunday morning, a time to find a place to go and worship, we were able to visit a, a church that was in the, in the, t- the area where we were staying, um, and, and you know, they gave God glory, and it was good stuff, but it really reminded me how much I love my Meadowland family, and so um, I pray you had a chance to be there uh, as well. Uh, we are definitely a church that is blessed by our elders and our leaders. A big thank you to Dave Cook, who uh, brought us God's word last Sunday, um, and just, uh, yeah, you were missed, so. Well, a good vacation um, is something that that's can be healthy, can be good for us. It's one of those things where for others, uh, even though you may be on vacation, may still be going through a challenging time. I know these are things that are always going on in life, um, but we kind of had a a recent string of of just people close to us that went through some challenging things. Um, Two weeks ago, I found out one of my old students, uh, I started in youth ministry uh, at a church in Libertyville, and I had a student who um, had some different health concerns, nothing that you would notice just by looking at her, uh, but she had some different challenges that, that she had faced throughout her life. Um, but then despite all those, uh, just had, had some heart issue that was unknown that kind of uh, hit out below or under the surface. And that uh, two weeks ago, just woke up and, and uh, I'm sorry, didn't wake up. It, it just passed away in her sleep. And um, she was in, in her 20s. And so the memorial service was this, this, this past week for her. And then another one of my students, from that same group of students, about that same time, I just found out that he's dealing with colon cancer. I had a biopsy that came back. And, um, you know, the sad thing is, is I'm just sharing these stories, but I know we all have those stories as well. Uh, people that are close to you, probably even in your own life, you've gone through these challenges. If you're not now, if you're not currently, uh, you, you probably recently have, or um, unfortunately, probably more are coming down the, the road. Um, as part of this vacation, we took my dad, came up from uh, Georgia where he lives, and uh, then he went up with us uh, the rest of the way for the celebration and, and the, the family reunion. And on his way up, he got a phone call that uh, was kind of, it's one of those things where it's a close friend that you don't talk to all that often, so it was a little out of the blue, and, and it, was, it was actually this friend's son who had called to say um, that this gal had passed away. It was a freak accident, um, just, you know, riding lawnmower on a steep incline, and uh, there was a freak accident, and she passed away, and it really shook him just this out-of-the-blue call of, hey, you know, so-and-so passed away. And even here from the Meadowland family, there, there's a family tied to Meadowland that on the 4th of July, uh, the father of that family passed away. And so there is trial, there is tribulation, there uh, is pain that we experience. And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, and don't worry, we're not going to stay here. We're not just going to bring up all this stuff and then hey, have, have a good Sunday. We're going to uh, dig into God's Word and see what does God's Word teach us about how do we engage uh, together in life? How do we live life in light of some of the pain that we go through? Because while celebrations, holidays, and, and vacations can be a joyous time for others, you live with some of these daily challenges. You live with some of this daily pain, whether it's, it's a physical pain because of sickness or illness in your life. Uh, maybe it's a, a long-term job loss, and now there's financial strain. Or maybe there's, um, you know, your portfolio doesn't look as good as it used to because of uh, the, the economy. Maybe uh, you know, you're coming up on your retirement years, and you're already in your retirement years, and what you were planning on is no longer there, and, um, or maybe you have a young family, and you know, again, what you had saved, if you had anything saved, uh, again, has diminished because of the economy, and, and you're feeling some financial strain. Um, maybe you have gone through or are going through uh, some kind of abuse that, that, that just whether it, you know, the, the marks are on the outside or the inside or whatever kind of abuse you've gone through, that just every day you, you, you carry this burden of pain. 
Well, so we, we just finished up our Overcome series, and we spent about a month uh, looking at uh, John 16, and, and really built out of this a, a series that talked about how do we live in, in this world in light of uh, trials and tribulations that are come our way. And we, we looked specifically at the aspect of fear. And we talked about how we don't need uh, to fear because uh, Jesus has overcome the world. That's what John 16, 33 tells us. Uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Not you may, but you will. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so we talked about how we don't need to live a life of fear. We don't need to let our actions be motivated out of fear, but we can trust in Jesus that his plan is in action, that he is working in us and through us, and we can overcome uh, uh, what would, whatever would, would come our way because Jesus has overcome the world. Now, if we take this next step in this new series where we're going, in the life of Job, it's really a continuation of that because it's talking about how, yes, there are trials and tribulations, but see, uh, there are all kinds of things in our life that we can put our hope in. But do we put our hope in something that would last? It's one thing to deal with our fear, right? But what is that thing that, that, that keeps you going each day? What are you fighting for? What are you living for? What is your hope in? And so we're going to be in the midst of this series, Job, A Story of Hope. We'll be talking about this over, over the next month. And uh, you know, some of the different things I think sometimes we can see that we place our hope in are, are, are good things. You know, we place our hope in our family. That, that's, that's what drives us is we want to be able to raise up the next generation. Uh, we want to raise up our kids to be able uh, to walk in the ways of God. Uh, but the challenge in that is we can do everything that you would say, here's, I've, I've done everything right. And they could still choose to go a different way. They can still choose not to follow God, not to follow the way that you've laid out before them. There's no guarantee on the next generation. Maybe you say, striving for success. Maybe it's even with a heart of, I want to be a success so that I can care for others. I want to be someone who can provide for his family so they can then provide for others. Maybe that's what is your hope. But even the benefits of lifelong success end once we die. And if we've tasted success, it's something that could be easily lost. And it can have nothing to do with us as well. There's circumstances and things that we cannot control that can uh, take away any success we may have. And maybe your, your hope is in yourself. You say, hey, if I can refine myself, if I can build myself up, if I can train myself in certain ways, you know, I can extend my life and I, I can accomplish what it is I'm trying to accomplish in my life. But see, that the challenge in that is when we do have a misstep, the weight of that failure can be such a crushing thing because if, if we're trusting in ourselves, then when we fail, it's like, okay, well, am I something that, you know, that can make a difference? The illusion of control over our lives um, is just that, an illusion. See, none of these things that we can uh, place our hope in uh, are eternal, and none of them offer a guarantee, except one thing. That thing is, is finding our hope in God. And that's what this series is about. Are you familiar with the story of Job? Have you heard anything about it before? Uh, depending on your background, if you spend any time in church or in the Bible, this is that book of the Bible. If, you know, when you're first kind of maybe opening it up, you're like, okay, what's this book of Job? You know, well, it's Job. You know, and, and if you want to know where it is, it, it comes right before uh, Peace Psalms. Um, it's actually Psalms. But I mean, if you have someone in your life who's ever said that, it's kind of silly and fun. I get that, but. That's, it's exciting that they would want to dig into God's word and we need to walk with them and, and not make fun of them for that, but say, okay, it's pronounced psalms. 
And if you don't know that, then you don't know that. And so it's, it's Job and then Psalms, and it's kind of put together with some of these other uh, poetic books. And so we're going to be there in a little bit. If you want to open your Bibles, you can to the book of, of Job. Easiest way to do it is to kind of grab your Bible, open it up in half. You'll probably end up in Psalms. Um, and then you can just turn a few pages before to get to Job. But chances are, even if, you've, if this is your first time stepping foot in a church, you've probably heard something right or wrong about the life of Job. If you've ever gone through all kinds of adversity or all kinds of trials, or if you know someone who has, maybe they made the correlation and said, oh man, you're like Job. You're going through all kinds of suffering in your life. You're like this man who experienced more suffering than any other in his day. So maybe you've heard even a message on it where you know, the preacher said, yeah, but you know, what did Job do? He, you know, he pulled up his bootstraps, he, you know, quit throwing a pity party, he went and, and, and did something with himself. He never doubted God at all, he trusted in God. And while there's all kinds of points in the story where we can see he trusted in God, there's also points where we can see there was doubt, there was question, questions that he asked, there was confusion. And so my heart in this next series is that, one, not only can we come to an accurate understanding of what the story of Job is, but we can also see that it's not predominantly a story of suffering, but a story of hope. A story of hope. It's a testimony to the faithfulness of God. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. Uh, it's just before Psalms, like I said. Uh, the author and the date of when it was written are, are unclear. Sometimes in some of the letters that come later in the New Testament, uh, it's real clear, hey, I'm you know, Paul, I'm writing this, and we can figure out when he wrote it based off of different things that he would allude to. Um, Job doesn't have that. And so we're not entirely sure who wrote it and the when they wrote it, but the events that are recorded in the book of Job um, most likely occurred sometime in the first or second century and so this is the days you know if you kind of read through genesis and you kind of get those early days uh when god first made everything and, and the earth is being populated and people are actually living a lot longer as well than we do today and uh you, if you read through the book of Job, which i would encourage you to do in the midst of this series uh you see that you know he lived over 100 years uh in, in his day and so uh, author and date are unclear likely took place during the first or second century but we're going to begin at the end so let's turn to Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. This is the last chapter. 42 verse 12. We're just going to go to the first half of it. A small little chunk of Job. Job 42, 12. <clears throat> first half. If you want to go digital too and turn on your Bibles, you're more than welcome to. If you need one, take one of the ones that are in the seats in front of you and call that your own. Job 42, 12. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning and the lord blessed the latter days of job more than his beginning and so if all you know about the book of job is that it was someone who suffered greatly this should give you hope right here the lord blessed the latter days the later days of job's life more than he blessed the beginning so chapter one as we start to, to look through the story of Job, uh, has a description of the blessings that he received. And, and our God is a God who loves to bless. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with desiring the blessings of God. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I would, I would desire that you'd bless me, that you'd bless my family, that you'd bless my neighbors, my church, my coworkers, my community. There's nothing wrong in, in praying for that. I think sometimes we feel like, oh, no, I shouldn't be praying for anything for myself. I shouldn't be praying for the blessings of God. Our God is a God who loves to give blessings. 
But now, not fully knowing His will, the fact that God is God and we are not, we may not always know what to ask for. We may ask for something that He says, no, we don't know why. We think, well, this would be a great thing for you to bless me with, and, you know, but it may be a no or a not yet. But it's still okay to ask. I would encourage you to be a people who ask God for His blessing. So let's see some of the blessings that Job had. Uh, from the very beginning, Job chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all people of the East. This is also a, a time in our history where wealth wasn't uh, determined by your bank account. It was determined by the size of your herds and, and your flocks. And so we, we see the thousands of animals that he had and, and the many servants he had to take care of them. And it says right there in, in verse 3, uh, this man was the greatest of all people of the East. So he is one of the wealthiest people on the earth at his time. Definitely someone who has experienced blessing. And when we, when we read this, and then we think back to, to Job 42, 12, that God blessed the latter years more than he did the beginning years, man, that, that should add some weight to that statement, right? It's one thing if you say, oh, you know, I, I've blessed my kids more in their college years than I did in, in their uh, youth when they were first growing up. Well, how'd you bless them when they were growing up? Oh, I gave them a dollar here or there. I mean, it doesn't have much weight, but when you find out, okay, Job was, was the wealthiest man in the East, and God said he blessed him even more, that's, that's a profound statement. Adds a lot more weight to that. And when we keep reading, we can begin to see the kind of man that Job was, and you begin to wonder and see he's kind of a deserving man when we see what he was like. We already saw in verse 1, it said uh, there was a man named Job who was blameless and upright. Blameless and upright. Man, those are some uh, amazing definers. I hope that I could someday be the kind of guy who someone says, oh yeah, he's blameless and upright. We read in verse 4 and 5, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. So they would set up the calendar. Okay, Tuesday's your day, Wednesday's your day. They would each have a day where they would hold a feast. And they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Job is going and offering sacrifices for sins that may not have even been committed. He said, my kids may have sinned while they were partying last night, so I'm going to offer a sacrifice for each one of them to God just in case. Because remember, this is before the time of Jesus. In Jesus, we can trust in him that his sacrifice on the cross paid the price for our sins. So we don't need to offer a sacrifice. So it doesn't need to be any atonement for our sin if we trust in Jesus, because Jesus is that official fulfillment. He is that, that sufficient fulfillment, that payment for our sins. But before he, he came, there was this, this pattern of where they would offer a sacrifice when they would sin against God, and that sacrifice would pay the price for their sin. So he's offering them just in case. So Job was an amazing man. We can see just in these opening chapters. And we too can experience this love and blessing ourselves uh, from God, and we have. 
We're an undeserving people, people who have sinned against God, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He laid down his life for us, even while we were undeserving, even while we were in sin. He offers it to us freely. In this truth that God loves us and offers us his blessing, if anything else, simply in the truth that our sins are forgiven in Jesus, this truth confuses the story all that much more, right? So God loves us, God blesses us, and yet we see, are going to see that Job goes through all kinds of suffering. And the suffering is all contained within these first two chapters, these opening chapters, and then the three through uh, somewhere in the, about, about chapter 40 um, are all these conversations back and forth between Job and his friends who come and try to help figure out why all this is happening, and then God speaks up at the very end, and then Job kind of wraps up as well. Uh, but we see in these opening two chapters the suffering that he went through. See, we learn that this isn't anything that God was surprised by. He knew what was going on. Actually, he authorized it. He didn't plan it, but he authorized it. Here's what I mean. Basically, uh, Satan comes into the presence of God, and they're having a conversation. And God's like, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Look, look, look at this. He's a blameless, upright man. And Satan's like, yeah, the only reason he follows you is because you've blessed him so richly. And so God says, okay, you may take away his blessing, but that is all. It, just a side note here, this isn't what we're going to talk about today, but this could be a, a whole other message in and of itself. It, it's interesting and important for us to note that Satan had to get permission from God. See that in the story. Take time when you go home, read through Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. And whenever uh, uh, Satan's like, hey, you only, you know, he only honors you because you give him all this stuff. And then God's like, all right. You have my permission to do just this. And Satan has to follow the boundaries that God lays out. See, sometimes I think we get confused about Satan and God, and we see them as, as equals in this cosmic battle of good and evil. We're like wondering, hey, who's going to win? And that is not the case at all. Satan is not on the same level as God. He is not equal in power. He is not equal in authority. He has to get his authority from God. And I know that almost raises more questions than it answers. But we can at least begin to have hope in that and knowing that our God is all-powerful. And even Satan has to get permission from him. So what does Satan do? He goes and he takes out his kids, all ten of them. They're all together, probably one of these parties, and says a wind comes and, and it basically takes the four corners of the house out and the house crushes and all the kids die. So in one moment, he loses all ten kids. On that same day, all of his wealth is wiped out. Various uh, disasters come, and in each case, one person survives to be able to come and tell him, hey, you lost all your camels, you lost all your sheep, you lost all your ox. They're all gone, they're all dead. And so in one day, he loses everything, yet he still praises God. So then Satan and God are talking again, and God's like, have you considered my servant Job? You took all that from him, and he still praises me. What an upright man that he is. And Satan's like, well, that's, you, you can take away a man's things, you can take away a man's family, but as long as he has his health, he, he'll keep praising you. And God's like, okay, you can take his health, but do not take his life. Again, Satan is, has to operate within the boundaries that God lays out for him. And so Satan does just that, and Job becomes sick. His body becomes covered with boils and sores. And then it comes to the point where Job's wife goes to Job and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just throw in the towel? I think sometimes she gets a bad rap. We pick on her and say, where is her faith? But think about what this woman has just gone through. 
She's lost 10 kids. She's watched her husband lose his fortune. She's watching him die right in front of her as he goes through all these, the, the sickness. You know, things that my wife and I have gone through, again, not, not on this scale whatsoever, but so many times I forget that, that when I go through a challenge, a lot of times it's harder on my wife to watch me go through that than it is for me to walk through it and, and vice versa because of our love for each other. And so there's uh, no reason to believe she doesn't love her husband. And so he's, she's watching him go through all this and just wants him to be at a place of where it's done. And she says, hey, the, the only way I can figure out to put an end to all this is won't just curse God and die, just give up. He's like, no, God is still good. And God is still God. So then Job's three friends come to him and they say, when they, when they get close, they don't even recognize him. He's that bad off and they kind of freak out and they have a little powwow and they say, okay, we'll, we'll go to him and we'll sit with him. For seven days, they sit with him and they don't know what to say. They sit in silence. Have you ever had an experience like that where you go, um, you know, a friend is going through some kind of traumatic experience in their life and, and there's just no words. And you're trying to be helpful, you're trying to be supportive, and you just show up and you're just there. And, and anything commonplace, just seems out of place. You don't talk about the weather. You don't talk about you know, sports or current events. But the tragedy they've gone through is so severe, it doesn't feel right to bring that up either. You don't want to be one to remind them of the pain that they're experiencing right now that is already ever-present on their heart. And so you just sit with them. Job's pain and tragedy was so great, these three friends sat in silence with him for three days. I'm sorry, for seven days. But then we really, really kind of see that they probably aren't the best friends because then they begin to question him and say, Job, what did you do wrong? You must have screwed up somewhere for God to allow this to happen to you. That was their response to him. And so what happened here? We know God is good. Job is upright. Job is blessed. God has power over Satan, yet allows Job to suffer, and yet God is still good. How do we make sense of all that? How do we place our hope in this God? Well, see, there was a commonly held belief, and this is, we see this in, in Job's friends, um, that if bad things happen to you, you must have done something wrong. It must be your fault. And we see this is a mindset that carries over even the days where Jesus walked the earth, where, where there was a man who was born blind, and some people bring him to Jesus and they say, who sinned? Was it this man? Is that why he's born blind? Or was it his parents? Is this the cause of his parents' sin? And, and the mindset of that culture was, hey, if, if bad things are happening, it's, it's your fault or someone in your family's fault. It doesn't just happen. And, and honestly, this mindset has carried over till today. We still, uh, many in our society, think this way and believe this to be true. Uh, we, we give it the name karma. Bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And when, when you see someone who, who's doing something mean or, or bullying someone and then they kind of get their up, up and comments, you know, we celebrate that. We're like, oh, hey, karma worked and bad people got uh, treated poorly and good people you know, got uh, treated well. But see, the problem with this, it's not true. It's not biblical. We, we don't have to go far to see that this is, a not, this is not a true statement. If it is true, then what about Jesus? If karma is true, then what about Jesus? He himself is the embodiment of love. He yet died on the cross, was abandoned by his friends, was beaten and tortured, was ridiculed, at times was abandoned by his own family. Okay, so it doesn't line up. 
Look, look at the apostles. Eleven out of the twelve died for their beliefs. And all twelve suffered for their beliefs. For making the statement that Jesus is God and living a life that followed that, they suffered. That's not, that's not bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. Think about your own story. There's things that you've experienced in your life that weren't your fault. They weren't things that you had any control over whatsoever. See, there is real pain in this world that we've experienced, and we all have experienced varied amounts and varied intensities, but it's real nonetheless. This isn't a competition to who's gone through the worst pain, but it's just an acknowledgement that we've all got pain in our life. There's all kinds of different pain. There could be emotional pain. Job lost 10 kids. You can imagine he'd be a little, a little distraught emotionally. Many today battle the depression, the loss of loved ones. Job had financial pain. He lost his fortune and his wealth. We experience that today. Loss of a job, loss of equity in your home or your savings or your retirement. Job had physical pain. His entire body is sick and in pain with boils and sores. I know many today who have chronic illnesses that every day could have the opportunity to flare up and just destroy their day. I know many who deal with disability. There's unfortunately many out there who've suffered the physical pain of physical or sexual abuse, whether in their past or in their present. And this pain is real. There's relational pain. Job's wife is watching her husband suffer. The friends are blaming Job. Job's got to feel alone in this. Today we see relational pain when there's unforgiveness, when we don't uh, offer forgiveness to one another, when we treat each other with a critical spirit or we have undealt with conflict. There's spiritual pain. Those moments where you feel like God has abandoned you, where you ask the question, where are you, God? How can you be a good God if this is allowed to happen? Maybe even move to the place where you feel like, God, what did I do? What, what did I do to deserve this? I wonder if Job felt that way at some point when his friends were like, what'd you do? What'd you do, Job? You must have done something bad you know, to tick off God. God, I wonder, did he ever come to a place where he's like, did, did I do something? Is this because of something that I've done? So how is the story of Job a story of hope? Well, see, it's only depressing if we stop in the middle. Seriously, it's only depressing if we stop in the middle. Any Star Wars fans? Yeah, a few. I thought have a few more. It's all right. Don't, don't be ashamed. I'm not going to pick on you. I'm a Star Wars fan myself, yeah. So there's been two sets of trilogies. You have the, the original three, and then they tried to improve on it or do something with it, and they failed and have the, the next three. Um, that's a whole other sermon, though. Um, but now they have three more coming out, and the, the, the first one of that third trilogy is about to be released. And um, imagine you met someone who hadn't seen a single one of the Star Wars films, haven't heard anything about it, and you sat them down in front of one movie and said, all right, you got 20 seconds. You give them, them 20 seconds to watch one chunk of one of the movies. And they came out of the room after watching those 20 seconds, and you said, okay, what's this movie about? Well, some, some guy in a big helmet blew up a planet. He has a big ball in the sky, and he blew up a planet. If you're not familiar with the story, that's Darth Vader blows up a planet uh, with his Death Star. Pretty depressing. Oh my, an entire planet was just wiped out. If, you just, if that's all we look at, if that, yeah, I, mean, I can understand why it'd be hard to get up the next day and, and continue on. But see, that's not how the story ends. 
The story doesn't end there. There's more that takes place. There's more that happens. There's more that's at work in the midst of that story. And so many times we do that in our lives. We stop in chapters 1 and 2 of Job and we put it down. We say, no, I'm done with you, God. I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm confused. I don't know why this is happening. And we abandon him and we walk away from him. Because we stopped in chapters 1 and 2. We didn't continue on through the story to see what does God have for us in chapter 42. Is there a greater blessing that's coming for me later in my life? Or is that later in my life, my eternal life that I have in Jesus? Because there were some who served God and didn't experience uh, maybe the tangible blessings of this world. But in their death, they were then in eternity with God and experienced the blessings of eternity with God. And so we need to hold on till we get to chapter 42. We can't stop in the midst of chapter 1 and 2 because there is more that's taking place. Remember how Job's story ends. Job 42, 12. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. We give up. We abandon what we know to be true, that God is good, that we are loved, and God is a God who blesses his children. So here's what I want to leave you with today. If you hear nothing else, hear this encouragement. Don't give up on the God who's never given up on you. Don't give up on the God who's never given up on you. Meadowland Church, let us be a people who will not give up on a God who's never given up on you. No matter how hard times are, Hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus. No matter what pain comes our way, let us hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus. No matter what happens, no matter how little we understand it, no matter how painful, no matter how hurt, no matter how angry we are, hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus. I know that's easier said than done. So I'm going to wrap up with just some ways that we can do just that. What does it look like to hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus? And I'm going to put this out there. This is a cheesy analogy, but it works. It just helps you remember stuff. So I'm Put it, call AAA. So you're, you're on the road, your car breaks down. What do you do? You call AAA. Is help there? No. You, you're waiting for help to come. You, you went through some kind of trial, some kind of pain. You're on the side of the road. You blew out a tire. You have car problems. Your engine's smoking, which is not supposed to do it, by the way, if that ever happens to you. Um, you should probably pull over. You call AAA, and, and you're hoping that help is going to come, that someone's going to come and rescue you. And that, that's where we can be sometimes in life. And sometimes it's a few moments. Sometimes it's a few decades. Sometimes it's our lifetime. We don't find out till the end of our days what God was doing in the midst of that. But when you're experiencing pain, when you're experiencing trials, whether now or in the future or in the past, we call God and we say, okay, I'm going to trust in you that you are my rescuer, that you will come and that you will make this right. And so what are the three A's I want us to walk out with here this morning? The first one is this. Acknowledge your frustration, confusion, and your anger towards God. Acknowledge your feelings towards God. If you're angry, if you're confused, if you're frustrated about the situations you're going through, acknowledge it. Tell God that. Go to Him in prayer and say, say, God, I'm pissed at you. Seriously. And then don't feel like you have to stand back and wait for lightning to strike you down for, for being honest with God. He already knows your heart. He already knows what's going on inside of you. And so like you'd want your child, if you have kids or if you have kids in your life, grandkids or nephews or nieces or, or you know, neighbor's kids, that, that, you know, if, you, if, there, if there's anger, if there's those feelings going on inside of them, you'd want them to share that with you, right? So they can move forward and, and, and come to their rescue and, and walk with them through that. God already knows what you're feeling. See, I tell my girls this all the time. Feelings are not right 
or wrong. They're indicators of what's going on inside. So if you're mad about something, that's not right or wrong. There's no sin in being angry. Uh, it's what we then allow that anger to do. It's our action. So if we, we act out in anger, okay, now we've got sin issues coming up that we need to deal with, but Jesus is good and offers forgiveness, so that's awesome. Um, but So our, our feelings just tell us what's going on. So tell God what you're feeling. And no, we're not going to understand it all the time. And basically, one of the main reasons we're not going to understand it is because we're not God. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His understanding is higher than ours. His ways are greater than ours. Isaiah 55, second half of verse 8 into verse 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your ways, than your thoughts. This is a part when we really understand who God is, and we want him to be, you know, if we really trust that he's this God that, that's all-powerful, there are going to be things that we don't understand, even if they bring about anger and frustration. But we can have hope in this as we acknowledge what we're feeling. We can have hope in knowing that God works all things together for his good. Now, you need to see this. This is a verse that a lot of times gets, gets thrown uh, around and used uh, wrongly. So let's look really carefully at what it's saying. Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Notice it doesn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for good. And so what's that saying? Is it saying that all the things that happen in our life, God can take that and redeem it and use it for his good. And use it for our good, for those that love him. Doesn't mean all things will be good, but God will work them all for our good. And we could, we could take the whole afternoon and sit down and talk about, okay, Steve, well, let me share some of my pain. Let me share some of the things I've gone through in my life. Where can God work good in this? And you could stump me time and time again. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Yes, there are terrible situations yes there's pain that we go through it's so hard i would even argue impossible in this life to see how god could work that for good but my hope is in jesus and romans 8 is telling me that god works all things for the good of those who love him and so i'm going to stand on that so let's acknowledge our frustration and our feelings towards god after you acknowledge how you feel let's ask a better question ask a better question if and when you experience pain in your life, sometimes either you or maybe a friend asks you this, um, what can you learn through this experience? Maybe you ask God, what are you trying to teach me? Again, not, not a bad question, um, but as we can see from the life of Job, I think this is true of a lot of our pain that we experience. A lot of times it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. How much of, of what Job went through had to do with him? He experienced it. He, he had to deal with it all. But it was more about God's authority over Satan and Satan being like, hey, you know, the only reason you're doing this is because you, you know, the only reason he's praising you is because you give him all this stuff. And God's like, no, he's praising me because I'm God. So this story is more about what's going on between God and Satan and who God is. And so there may be things in our life that we're going through that are bringing about pain that have nothing to do with us. Think about that for a minute. 
And so to ask this question, what are you trying to teach me through this experience, puts the focus on us. And so let us change that question. Um, you know, the, the other reason I think we need to ask a different question is if the pain that you're experiencing is because of someone else's sin. If someone sinned against you, uh, and that's why you're in pain. If someone abused you, and that's why you're in pain. This question, what are you trying to teach me, God, through this experience, is almost a cruel question to ask. So you're saying, I, I'm going through this, this person sinned against me, this person treated me this way so I can learn something? Somebody just give me the cliff notes, God. And so while in some pain, this is a, a question we can ask and learn things, let, let us rephrase it. It's almost like a request. It's kind of, I know I said ask a better question, but it's more a request that would encourage us to make. And the request is this. Show me more of who you are, God. Show me more of who you are through this pain. Because see, that takes the focus off ourselves and puts it on God. God, through this pain, help me to see who you are. Help me to understand you better. And so if it's something that has nothing to do with you, you can still see the character of God. Okay, God, I see you're a loving God. I see you're a patient God. I, I see that you are a God who is, uh, whose ways are higher than ours. And then if it is something where there's a pain that we're going through, there's trials and tribulations because of our own actions, because of our own areas that we need to grow, those will still come to the surface. Say you're dealing with anger. And you ask this question to God, God, what? You know, and so because of your anger, you cause some pain in your life, some, some relational pain. And you say, God, show me more of who you are through this. You begin to see that God is a loving and gentle God. He's a patient God. He's a gracious God. He's a joyful God, full of life. And again, you begin to see, my life doesn't look like that. But Jesus wants to renew me and, and refine me to be more like him. And we begin to surrender our ways to God's ways. And, and life change begins to happen. And, and we learn what it looks like to be more patient, more understanding, and more gentle, and more loving. And so we still learn and teach, or the gospel teaches us through those uh, moments, but we need to ask the question, the request of God, show me more of who you are through this. Apologize that my beard and I are, are battling for control of the mic. We'll have to take care of that in, in future weeks. Yes, by getting a different mic, not changing the beard. Um, sorry. Wow, way to ruin a sermon there, Steve. <laughs> So what's our response? It's to surrender to God's ways, and this brings about life change. And so uh, acknowledge your feelings to God. Uh, ask this better question of God. Show me yourself in this. Help me to see you. And the last A for AAA, uh, we are hoping in Jesus to be our rescuer, is act in light of the character of God, not in light of the circumstances in our life. Act in light of the character of God, not in your circumstances in life. Because circumstances are painful. If we act in light of that, that would lead us down one road. But let us act in light of who we know God to be and who we're learning about him to be. If we act in light of the pain, we might miss out on what God is wanting to do in us. Have you ever had a, a growth or known anyone that had a growth or a cancer or a mole? And I know that's a wide spectrum from mole to cancer, but something that needs to be removed from your body for your own health, for your own well-being. Something that if it wasn't removed, what would continue to grow and, and potentially even bring about death or at least more pain and more strife. What, what do they do? What did you do? Or they, you go to a doctor. And this doctor is someone who, whether they know you or not, they care about you enough to wound you 
to bring about your health, right? Well, no, see, they don't wound me. They, 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 they do surgery on me. Well, how do they do surgery? They cut you open. They take out what shouldn't be there. They stitch you back up. There's pain in the midst of that. There's a wounding that happens. While we were on our 4th of July trip, for whatever reason, mosquitoes love my daughters. Absolutely love them. And they just, had, you know, the first day, even with bug spray, got bitten up. And so we were making sure all the other days that we put bug spray on them. And so the second day we're there, my almost three-year-old is getting sprayed up. And my wife is like, you know, close your eyes and look away. And she does. And then right when she's going to spray some on her face, she looks back and opens her eyes. And basically gets a squirt of bug spray right in the eyes. And, and fortunately, it was one that you know, it was more organic, it was mostly just oils, but still irritated her eyes. And I'm sitting out by the campfire, and I hear these screams coming from the trailer. And I think they're screams of disobedience. You know, mom asked you to do something, and now you're screaming at her no. And, and so dad's walking to the trailer, you know, about to just kind of you know, intervene here and, and, and come to my wife's aid. And, um, and I step in the trailer, and on the, the, there's like a little master bed area. I, I see my, my almost three-year-old um, kind of throwing herself on the bed. She screams and holds her eyes and stops and screams, you know, and just kind of writhing in, in pain from this. And so, you know, trying to get the quick story, hey, got, got bug spray in her eyes. And so what I do? We've got to get it out. And so I, I grab uh, the closest thing of water I could find. We, we take her outside. There's a little more space. I sit down. I, I put her across my, my lap. Um, you know, I got her head in my one arm. Um, I'm kind of holding her arms down. And the way I'm describing this story, I have like eight arms. So I'm not sure how I did it. But somehow <laughs> I'm holding her body down, holding her arms down, holding the eye open. And I just pour water right on her eye. Freaks her out. She start, I mean, I feel like I'm waterboarding my daughter. I mean, it's act, and she's freaking out. Okay, two seconds later, she's done. And, you know, I don't continue. I just pour some on. But how else can you wash the eye of an almost three-year-old uh, just full of life who's, who's writhing in pain? And um, I, I, we, we had to rinse it out. We had to get it out of her eye. And literally, right after that was done, we sat her back up. And I just kind of held her. I said, we, we love you, baby. We had to get that out of your eyes. She's fine. Went from freaking out to fine because the pain was gone. I... I do not want to cause that much pain to my kids, but I love them too much to allow that to stay in her eyes. So I'm so thankful that we have a God who's willing to wound us to remove some of the garbage that's in our lives. And yes, I'm putting the disclaimer on this, that not all the pain we go through is this scenario that I just described. There is pain and trial and tribulations that we go through that are the result of other people's actions upon us. And remember, it's not always about us. I know it feels that way because we're the ones that have to deal with that pain in those trials and those challenges. But then there is some that, that are a result of our own actions. There's sin in our life that God is, is trying to work out. And that can be a painful thing at times, but I love my daughter too much to let that stay in her eyes. I wanted her to be healthy. And, and she was fine after that. Once we went through that, that pain, she was fine. I don't think she even remembers it. I do. I'll remember you know, all my days <laughs> um, that go. But um, let me close with this. So if you're going through a time right now, or maybe something you just want to remember in case this comes your way, um, and you're feeling like you're just broken down the side of the road, again, I know it's cheesy, but call AAA. Acknowledge your heart towards God. Uh, ask this question of, show me who you are in this God, and then act in light of the character of God, not in light of the pain of your situation, uh, the circumstances in life. And let us as a church um, put less focus on praying for our safety and more focus on praying for the will of God. We see in the Lord's Prayer, one of the lines he teaches us about how to pray is, not my will, but yours be done. So it's not my will, but your will be done. And if we're truly praying for the will of God to happen in our life, that is not a safe place to be. 
It's a good place to be. It's a righteous place to be. It's a place that, 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 that is be with God. But the last thing it is is safe. Think about those who have gone before us. The stories are recorded in the Bible and, and many people did amazing things. God worked in them and through them uh, for, to advance his kingdom. And they experienced all kinds of pain. So I apologize if a part of this was kind of a Debbie Downer of a morning, but don't land and stay in the pain. Let us be a people who never give up on God because he's never given up on us. Let us hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, you are an awesome God. We thank you for who you are. Uh, We trust in you. Uh, Our hope is in you, Father God. There is just stuff that we don't get, that we don't understand, pain that we go through, Father. But we, we, we hand that over to you. We acknowledge that some of this that we're going through may not be about us. But regardless of the reason, Father God, we know that the story does have an ending, that you've already overcome sin by your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. We know that you've already overcome and defeated Satan, Father God, as we read in your word. And as we wait for that time where you come again to to finalize all this, We will trust in you. We'll place our hope in you. And we will hang on to you because you are good and you are God. Praise all in your name. Amen.